Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, guys. Great to see you all this morning. My name is Byron, and I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor and church planter. If you are a guest, again, I just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 17. We're going to start today in verse 14 as we close out our series called Jesus Loves His Church. And what we're looking at is the plan that Jesus has for us together as a church and what that looks like and means. And so let's go ahead and open up in prayer, and then we are going to jump right in. Cool? All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who loves us by giving to us, by serving us, by leading us, by guiding us and being a great pastor over us as a church. Lord, I thank you for calling us together as a church by giving us unity and giving us passion and giving us direction and giving us purpose. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would enable us, empower us, illuminate the scriptures today so we can apply it to our lives so that way we can be the church that you have called us to be. I pray for those in the room who are looking for hope, looking for peace, looking for purpose, and that they will find it in the Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So how many of you guys are good at making plans? Okay. Are you guys good at making plans? You love plans? Me? I love plans. I love having a plan. I love putting plans into place. I have more of a type A personality. And so if you can give me a plan, a map, a chart, a graph, a schematic, a blueprint, all right, I'm happy. Five-year plan, 10-year plan. I love to make good plans. Now, how many of you guys are good at executing on a plan? Right, that's a totally different skill set, isn't it? Like having a plan, working a plan are two totally different skill sets, but you're still going to need to have a plan. And I say this all the time, and I'll say it until the day that I die, that you need a plan. Some of you are like, I don't really like plans. Okay, just so you know, that's a plan. It's just a dumb plan for a dumb man, but it's still a plan. Okay, you're going to need to have a plan in place. And the reason that I love plans is because plans allow you to be spontaneous, Okay, because when you have a plan in place, you can always kind of deviate from the plan, but you can't organize out of chaos. Okay, spontaneity without a plan, that spells disaster. And so anything in your life, whether big or small, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your faith, when it comes to your finances, college, work, vocation, whatever it is, you're going to need to have a plan in place. Now, here's what I've learned. Christians are people who write their plans in pencil. Because we never know when Jesus is going to show up and change all of our plans. Jesus loves to change our plans, and so we need to learn to trust in him. I had a plan for my life. Okay, before I met Jesus, my plan was to, was to party, was to get drunk, to get high, to play in a band, to travel around the country, and then when the good times wore off, then I would go back to college, and then I would become a high school teacher. Like That was the plan for my life. But then Jesus showed up, and Jesus changed my plans. And some of you, you, you're going to need to let Jesus wreck your plans a little bit. And so we had, we had a plan before we got ready to start this church. Me and Ashley, we sat down and we, we wrote a five-year plan for where we wanted to go as a church, what we wanted to see, what we wanted to do, who we wanted to be as a church. And so we have a plan for the church. And whenever things are going well, we go back to the plan. We look at it and say, oh, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. We're doing, we're doing pretty good. Things are working out. And when things are getting a little off mission, when things are like, eh, probably not so much, what do we do? We go back to the plan. Because we have a plan as a church, and Jesus leads us in that. You know, I didn't plan to teach this sermon series. If you know me, I plan months in advance, year in advance, actually, when it comes to mapping out our sermon series. So if if you come to me and you say, hey, Pastor Byron, what are we teaching on in January 2019? Okay, I know. I know exactly where we're going. I didn't plan to do this sermon series. We're actually supposed to be in the book of James right now. But last month, I woke up on our vacation, and I began to feel a burning in my heart that this is what we needed to teach. We need to take a moment. We need to walk through Jesus's prayer in John chapter 17 so that we could teach this to our church. And so I just moved some things around. I wrote the plan in pencil. So we moved some things around. We condensed James a little bit, moved some stuff in the calendar, and here we are, because this is exactly where Jesus wants us to be as a church, because Jesus has a plan for us. Now, how many of you guys right? You can't make plans at all. Like you're terrible when it comes to making a plan. Like you can't organize anything. Your life is, honey, where are the keys, right? What are we doing today? I swear that I would lose my head if it wasn't attached to my neck, right? You know, unorganized, uneventful, unplanned, 
Okay, anybody? This is a safe place. You can raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you, child. Right. So, so here's, the, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Okay, Jesus has a plan. The good news is that Jesus has a plan. And so what we need to learn how to do is we need to learn to trust Jesus and the plan that he has for us. And so Jesus loves his church because Jesus prays for his church. And today we're going to see that Jesus has a plan for his church. And so the big idea that we're going to talk about today is this, that a prayer with the plan leads to your purpose. That a prayer with the plan leads to your purpose. How many of you believe that God has a plan for your life? How many of you believe that God has a purpose for your life? How many of you believe that God has a plan and a purpose for us as his church? Amen. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got your Bible, John chapter 17, verse 14, here's the beginning of Jesus's prayer and plan for his church. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one, for they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I want you to hold on to that mega theme throughout this section. Sanctify them in your truth, Jesus says. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in your truth. So here we have it. Jesus is hours away from his crucifixion. John 17 takes place at the very end of Jesus's life. He's about to be arrested, tried. He's about to go to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And the last thing that Jesus does is he stops and he prays for his church. He prays for his disciples, the men that he chose to walk with them, to spend his earthly ministry with them, to raise them up as leaders so that they could hand the church off over to them. And so he's going to have a prayer for them. But we also see that within this prayer, Jesus has a plan. And Jesus is revealing to us the five-point plan that he wants us to be as a church. So if we want to grow as a church, there's going to be a couple of things that Jesus wants us to be as a church. And Jesus is revealing his five-point plan for what he desires his church would look like. And the the first thing that he prays for is that we would be missional. That we would be missional. Now, when we say the word mission, typically people think about missionaries. Right? We're in church, so that's kind of where our mind goes. We think about the men and women who sell all of their possessions, take a vow of poverty, learn a foreign language, move across the world to never be seen or heard from again. Now, is that what Jesus is asking of us? Okay, yes and no. Maybe a couple of you, that's what God is calling you to do. But for the rest of us, I don't believe that that's actually what Jesus is talking about when he's asking us to be missional. See, the traditional understanding of mission is that churches would send missionaries or that we would raise up missionaries to send across the world to reach strange tribes of eccentric people. Now, don't get me wrong. I I love missionaries. Okay, As a church, we support missionaries foreign and locally. 10% of our resources goes to missions and to church planting. However, I don't believe this is what Jesus is actually talking about in this section of Scripture. See, he's not saying that in order to be a missionary, you have to move across the world to reach strange tribes of eccentric and weird people, because here at Redemption, we believe there's strange, weird people that live in Beaumont. (laughs) And sometimes you don't have to move across the world. Sometimes you just got to walk out your front door, because people here in the city, they match that criteria. I mean, have you ever been here on a Friday night? Right? Totally different crowd. Lots of people who need Jesus. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that if you are a Christian, then all of your life is to be lived on my mission. That every believer is a missionary and has been called, saved, and sent on mission with me. Here's what Jesus says. He says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. What Jesus is saying here is what's called Trinitarian language. Okay, as Christians, we believe in what is known as the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, that, that God exists perfectly eternal, uh, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that in eternity past, God existed within himself in complete unity, harmony, relationship, submission, glory, honor, friendship, love, all of it. And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in here. And he said, it is good. And then he made man. And then we fell, we sinned, we rebelled, we separated ourselves from God. We've been broken, fractured, flawed, and been making a mess of everything ever since. And so God, he, he sends his son, Jesus. 
And Jesus enters into this world on a mission. And Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost, to reveal the Father, to live the sinless life, to die the perfect death, to forgive our sins and give us grace. And then after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he ascends back to the Father, then he sends the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers us, enables us, enlightens us to live this new life. And so the Father sends the Son, and then the Son sends the Spirit, and then the Spirit of God sends us as the people of God. And that the Spirit sends us as a church. And this is what Jesus is praying, that if you are a Christian then your life is on mission and that we as a church would be missional. This is one of the distinguishing aspects of the ministry that we have here at Redemption. Okay, we, we want you to be missional as God's people. It's not enough for us just to get people to be saved from the world. We also want to equip you and teach you to be able to be sent back into the world so that way you can make a difference for Jesus. And so what this means for us as a church is that we're going to have to start sharing our faith. We're going to have to start telling people about Jesus, and we're going to have to start sharing our story. Now, let me get this off the table, okay? That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to talk to people about our faith. It's, it's nerve-wracking to share our story. It's, it's, it's awkward at times, right? At best. In addition to that, I know that several of you are, are, are introverts, and so this is going to make it a little bit more challenging for you because you're like, oh, what do you mean I have to talk to people? Okay, yeah, okay, I understand. Like, I understand you took a test, right? Your INTJ, your INFP, ESPN, right? J-E-R-K. Okay, so I understand that you took a test, but, but let, me, let me tell you this. Okay, when it comes to sharing our faith, I love you. Okay, but your personality is not an excuse for inactivity. Okay, your personality is not an excuse for our inactivity. Now, the good news is, is God can use our personality, that he can use our personality for his glory. But if we're unwilling to be used by God, good news is Jesus changes who we are. And so what we need to do is we need to learn how to share our faith. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to get a bicycle, wear a white collared shirt, ride around door to door and call yourself Elder John. Okay, I, I am not suggesting that. That's the wrong team. Okay, but there are simple, practical ways in which we can learn to be missional in our everyday life. And so my job as your pastor is to help you, right? Ephesians chapter 4 says I have one job as a pastor, and that's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So let me, let me help you. Let me equip you. Let me give you five simple ways to be missional without being weird, okay? So the first way I would tell you is this, okay? Be aware, Simply be aware of your surroundings. Consider where you are, where God has placed you, who God has put in your life, and the people that he has given you influence with. All I'm asking you to do is first just be aware. The book of Acts chapter 17, Paul writes that God has predetermined the times and the seasons in which a person lives. And so that means you. So if you're at work, that's where God has you. If you have a job, that's where God has placed you. If you are in college, okay, that's, that's your mission field. That's God, where God wants you to be aware. If you are raising kids, a stay-at-home mom, those are your people. That's your mission field. And sometimes home is the hardest mission field, amen? Amen, and that's where God has placed you at, and God wants you to thrive in that place. Listen, I say this all the time, okay? I do not have the most important job in this church, okay? You do. You have the most important job in the church. You have the potential to reach more people than I ever could in my life. See, I can stand on this stage and I can preach on Sundays, but I can't go to the plants. Okay, if you work in a plant or a refinery or you're an engineer, I can't go to the plant and tell people about Jesus, but you can. I can't go to schools and pray for kiddos, but if you're a teacher, if you're an educator, you have the opportunity to do that. I can't go into the operating room and pray for patients. But you can if you work in the medical field or if you're in a nurse, right? You have the potential to reach more people than I ever could in my life. My prayer is that we would be aware as a church. Here's what we say. Okay, Christians, we don't work for a paycheck. We work for a purpose. Okay, we don't work for a paycheck. We work for a purpose. We don't go to college to get a degree. We go to college to make disciples. If we would just take the mindset of a missionary and we would see all of our life as an assignment from God. The first is very simple. Just be aware of your surroundings. The second thing I would tell you is for you to be intentional. Now, this one's going to be a little bit more challenging because it's going to cause us to have to make a couple of sacrifices. 
We're going to have to learn how to be selfless rather than just being selfish. We're going to need to learn to make sacrifices of our time, of our energy, of our talents, maybe even of our money. And so what it looks like to be intentional is to build relationships with other people. So let's say you have a friend who you grew up with in high school who is not a Christian, or maybe it's a coworker, or maybe it's a family member who's not following the Lord. Okay, the last thing we need to do is cut them out of our life. Instead, what we should do is invite them into our life so they can see what Jesus is doing through our life. So maybe just invite them to coffee or maybe take them out to eat or maybe bring them over to your house to hang out and watch a game. Could be even just stepping on the back dock while they smoke their cigarette and having a conversation with them. We need to be intentional with the relationships and the surroundings in which God has placed us at by building these relationships with other people. It's going to take a little bit of sacrifice, but we're going to need to be intentional. And I'll tell you this as well. Okay, it also means that you're going to have to talk to people. You're going to have to actually open your mouth. You're going to have to string a couple of sentences together, try to make sense, have a complete thought together. Okay, you're actually going to have to have a conversation with someone. Now, I'm not asking you to lecture them on penal substitutionary atonement or ontological subordinationism within the Trinity. None of that. Right, but, but just share your story. So some of you, it's going to be, it's going to be a little hard. Okay, because you're going to have to actually have a conversation with someone. But others of you, okay, you're going to need to shut up. You talk way too much. You talk way too much. God's given you two ears and one mouth for a reason. He wants you to talk. He wants you to, to listen twice as much as you talk. So some of you, you're going to need to actually open your mouth. Others of you, you're going to have to close your mouth just a little bit. Okay, listen to their story. Share your story. Answer any questions. You don't have to have all the answers. You have Jesus. That's enough. Just tell your story. Be intentional. The third thing I would tell you is to be a regular. Now, what do I mean by be a regular? By nature, we are creatures of habit. We go to the same places pretty much every day. I go to the same gas station. I go to the same grocery store. I go to the same local CVS. I go to the same gym. I go to the same coffee shops. Okay, by nature, we are creatures of habit. All I'm asking you to do is for you to become a regular in a local place. So take the awareness, take the intentionality, and apply it to where you already are, and that's how you locate your mission field. Okay, for me, it, what it looks like is I go to the same coffee shop every single week. I go to the same exact coffee shop. I bring a book, I bring my Bible, I bring a laptop, I, I have my meetings there, I, I read there, and I'm getting to know other people who go there getting to know the barista, getting to know the, the people who work there, the other people who frequent there regularly, so I can learn their stories, so I can share my faith with them. Why? For convenience? No. But to be a part of the community. That's how we live missionally in our everyday life. The fourth thing I would tell you is this. Be in a group. You've got to be in a group. The most powerful missional tool that we have is other people. Being in a group, because when you're in a group, you're encouraged, you're inspired, you're learning to read your Bible, people are praying for you, you have more opportunities to, to reach other people, and you find opportunities within yourself to be able to live missionally. The, the best missional tool that we have is other people. I'll share you a story of my friend Courtney. Now, some of you guys might know Courtney. She, she worships here. She, she serves here at the church. And Courtney, uh, she got saved at me and Ashley's first apartment. She would come over to our community group. Now, she, she, didn't, she didn't believe in God. She wasn't raised in the church. She had no real church background. And she was skeptical and resistant towards the Lord. But she trusted us. And so she would come over to our house on Wednesday nights. And, and we'd read and we'd hang out and we'd eat. And she really enjoyed that. And over time, the Lord began to open up her heart. She gave her life to Jesus sitting on her couch in our community group. Okay, now, she learned how to read her Bible then. She learned how to pray then. And then she took the faith she had and she shared it with other people. And more people jumped in. More people got involved. And more people got saved. Some people will never, will never come with you to church. But they will go over to your house. Some people will never listen to me preach. But they will listen to your story. So we need to open up our homes. We need to open up our hearts. We need to open up our lives. And the best missional tool that we have is other people being in a group. And the last thing that I would tell you about how to be missional is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 17 falls right on the heels of Jesus's teaching about the Holy Spirit. And he's telling his disciples, okay, listen, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. People are going to reject you. People are going to hate you. People are going to oppose you. You're going to feel discouraged. You're going to be depressed. You're not going to know what's going to happen. You don't think it's making any sense, but wait, 
because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be your comforter in your times of need. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you when you don't think you can go on. The Holy Spirit is going to be your advocate who goes before you. The Holy Spirit is going to be the helper in your times of need. You're going to need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is it that took 11 timid, broken, fearful, afraid men throughout the totality of Jesus' ministry who could not do anything right What happened in their life to go from being fearful to bold, to be timid, to courageous? What happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, a church of 11 blew up to 3,000 people in one day. And the church has been growing every day ever since because of the Holy Spirit. If you need to be missional, you need the Holy Spirit to trust him, to allow him to lead you, to guide you, to pray, even when you don't know what to pray, to speak even when you don't know what to speak, you're going to need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you will not do it on your own. Those are practical ways in our everyday life for us to be missional. It's not weird. It's not hard. It's not for experts, right? It's for you and me. This is Jesus's plan for our church. And so I condensed this, wrote it on a blog, and I'm going to push that over on redemptiontx.com so you can read it and you can walk through it um, together or on your own so you can keep walking and figuring that out. The second thing that Jesus tells us as a church for us to be is that we are to be sanctified. So he first says, Lord, I pray that they would be missional, and then I pray that they would be sanctified. Here's what he says. He says, and Jesus, Jesus says, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one, that they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus prays, make them missional and make them sanctified. That word sanctified, it, it means holy or set apart or different. And that our church would be set apart and holy. Let me give you an illustration to better help you understand this. I heard this and I thought this is brilliant. And the single guys are going to need to know this. And so you need to listen up. Okay. At your house, how many sets of dishes do you have? Right. Typically you'd have two. You have two sets of dishes. You have one set of dishes. That's your everyday, normal, common dishware, right? You put your hot pocket on it, right? Heat up your leftovers. Okay. It's just your normal, everyday dishes, Now you have another set of dishes and these dishes are special and they sit in the cabinet and you're not allowed to touch these dishes except for on what? Special occasions. Now why are these dishes special? Because they're set apart, they're holy, they're sanctified dishes. If you put your hot pocket on it, you're going to get in trouble. Okay, no hot pockets on the sanctified dishes. And that's what Jesus is, is talking about. This is what it means to be sanctified, that you are set apart. You are holy that you are different. And as Christians, we are different than the way the world works. The way that we live, the way that we operate, the way that we love, the way that we give, the way that we serve. Fundamentally, Christians are people who are different than the way the world is because Jesus changes who we are. So as Christians, the way we see sex and money and power and gender and family and relationships and work, all of it, we see it differently because God has a different perspective of our lives than the way the world does. And so Jesus prays this prayer. He says, Lord, Lord, I pray that they would not be taken out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. By praying this prayer, Jesus is presenting us three worldviews of sanctification. There's two that he, he opposes, and there's one that he wants to see us be as a church. Now, these worldviews, they're contentious. They debate. They argue. You've probably seen it. You've probably read some books. You've probably read blogs from each of these worldviews. They're always fighting, always arguing, and there's two that Jesus opposes and one he wants us to be as a church, and the first one is that of fundamentalism. Okay, fundamentalism, they would say that, he says, do not take them out of the world. That's the classic error of fundamentals, is that they want to leave the world. Okay? So they don't answer Jesus' prayer. By wanting to leave the world, they, they want to separate, they want to isolate themselves and be segregated. So they would say, well, the world is terrible, the world is horrible, it's nasty, it's wrong, it's crooked, it's corrupt, and everybody's going to hell, and one day Jesus is going to show up, he's just going to burn the whole place, and everybody's going to die. Right? And so we need to leave the world. And so because the world is gross and nasty, that's the position of fundamentalism. And I don't know why they call them fundamentalists, because they're no fun, <laughs> and they're all mental. But that's, 
That's the worldview in which they take. The world is wicked, so we need to leave. And so they don't live in the city because that's where all the sinners live. They don't watch non-Christian movies because entertainment is evil. They don't listen to non-Christian music, only Christian music. They don't go to non-Christian places. They only go to Christian places. They don't have any non-Christian friends. They only have Christian friends. And so they only ever go to church. They only ever have fellowship with other Christians. And they don't ever watch TV unless it is to watch the news in an attempt to scare you because fear is the only evangelistic tactic that they have. Some of you grew up in churches just like that. I'm sorry. Welcome to redemption. Jesus prays against a second worldview, which is that of liberalism. And now when I say liberal, I don't mean political liberalism. I mean theological, cultural liberalism. Jesus prays, don't let my church be fundamentals, but also don't let them be liberal. See, see, liberals, they don't, they're not protected from the evil one. And so they would say, well, the world's not that big of a deal. It's really not that bad, right? Satan and sin and demons, they don't really exist the Bible, it's a little bit outdated. We shouldn't talk about the parts that make people uncomfortable because we should just really be tolerant and loving and coexist. And if you think what you think, I think what I think, truth is relative. In the end, we're all going to make it if we just recycle and do a couple of good deeds and smile along the way. True or false? We don't believe that. False. And so in an attempt to become relevant, they actually compromise their holiness. And, and that they're not sent or separate from the world and they compromise their holiness. And some of you, you were raised fundamental, and some of you are living very liberal. And Jesus presents us with a third way. And praise God that there's always a third way when it comes to Christ. And Jesus gives a third way, which is that we would be biblical. He says, don't run from the world. Don't run to the world. Instead, run to my word. Jesus prays that we be biblical. He says, sanctify them in your truth. That Christians would be people who run to the word of God. That we look and we listen and we learn from the word of God. This is God's word. This is truth. This word tells us how it is that we are to live. And so as Christians, we are people of the word. We keep coming back to it because this is the way that we are sanctified. What does the Bible teach? How does the Bible tell me to live? How does the Bible tell me to serve? That is the goal of biblical Christianity. So here's, here's how we look at it here at Redemption, okay, for us. All right, we are theologically fundamental, okay? We, we believe in the Bible. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Satan. We believe in heaven. We believe in hell. Like, we believe all of it. Theologically fundamental, but, but we are culturally liberal. The way I'd say this is we will do anything short of sin to reach people far from God. That we would open up our homes so people can meet Jesus. We have church in a bar so people feel comfortable. We preach the Bible in ways in which people can understand. We sing songs that actually speak to people's hearts. We go to non-Christian places. We have non-Christian friends. Why? Because we want to be like them? No, because we want them to be like Jesus. As a church, we, we do all of it. We love all of it because this is Jesus's plan for us as a church, that we would be sent and that we'd be sanctified that would be missional, and that would be holy. Jesus continues on, and he prays, point number three, that would be unified. He says, I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they might all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and that I am in you, that they may also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. Again, that's Trinitarian language. So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me, even as you have loved me. Okay, now some people will read this about Jesus' prayer for unity, and that he prayed that our church would be one, and they read this and they think, oh, what a shame. This is the one part of Jesus' prayer that has never been answered. What a shame, because there's all these different churches and parachurches and organizations and denominations. They must not be biblical because here Jesus prays that would be one. Can I just submit to you that that's not actually what Jesus is talking about? That Jesus' prayer isn't that we would act the same, look the same, think the same, believe the same, and calls that unity. That's, that's not actually what Jesus is praying for. What Jesus is praying for here is that there would be unity in our diversity, Okay, you can't think that we serve a God who is fearful of diversity. 
I mean, look around creation. He has made everything transcendently diverse. Everything from from plants and animals to different types of flowers and trees to countries and continents and people. We serve a God who loves diversity. And Jesus prays that there will be unity even in the midst of our diversity. Look around this room right now. I'm pretty sure that no one in here looks exactly like you. Okay, people are different. And the person sitting next to you Right. Besides the fact that you're both sitting in chairs and breathing the same air, probably have very little in common. Okay, you're different. Some of you more than others, but you're different, and different is a good thing. Jesus is not afraid of our differences. Jesus uses our diversity to bring unity under his word on his mission. Okay, because Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his Assembly of God churches. Jesus loves his Anglican churches. Jesus loves his his Presbyterian churches. Jesus loves his Baptist churches. Jesus loves his non-denominational churches. I mean, Jesus loves churches that preach expositionally like we do. Jesus loves churches that preach more topically. He loves churches with loud worship bands. He loves churches with choirs. He loves churches with Sunday school. He loves churches with community groups. He loves churches with family worship. He loves churches with kids' church. He loves his church. Jesus is not in heaven facepalming himself because his people have found certain aspects of his word in which they find life. Hey, that's not what Jesus is praying against. Jesus isn't praying that we would act the same, look the same, think the same, believe the same. That's not unity. That's weird. Okay, that's unanimity. That's not unity. What Jesus is actually praying for is a prayer of evangelism, that the world may know you have sent me. Ultimately, what Jesus is praying for is that we'd be pointing everyone in one direction that would be leading everyone to Jesus. And this prayer has been answered because the church has gone from 11 to 3 billion people in the world today, worshiping, serving, loving, following, trusting in Jesus. And this prayer is being answered through our diversity. Listen, I know I'm supposed to be getting you jacked on what Jesus is doing here in redemption. And trust me, that is the goal of this series. But you do know that we are not the only church that God is using. You do know that we are not the only church in this city who loves Jesus and leads other people to him. God is using lots of churches in Southeast Texas to accomplish his mission. Pastor Reg over at Praise Church, he is a good friend of mine. And we meet and he's coaching me in leadership in different areas in the church. And God is moving in Praise Church in amazing ways. Pastor Lance over at Bridgepoint Fellowship Church. He is a good friend of mine. And we meet regularly and we're working behind the scenes on a couple of awesome pieces for our church. I preached at their church. Those people, man, they love their church. They get excited. And God is moving at Bridgepoint Fellowship. Pastor Joshua, Pastor Daniel at Sojourn Church. Their church is a year older than ours, and so I'm learning a lot from them. We help them a little bit. We have joint worship gatherings because we love Sojourn Church. God is using all of his churches who preach the Bible, who call people to repentance, who love him. He is using that to build the kingdom of God, and we just have a part to play in it. So let us not become the church that's too busy fighting against Christians that we have no time to fight against the evil one. So how do I know if redemption is home for me? There's a lot of different churches. How do I know if this is the place that I belong? Great question. As a church, we gather around three points of unity. This is what we strive for. So if you agree with these, great. We love you. Jump in. We're going places. And we'd love to have you. Here's the three points of unity we strive for as a church. First, doctrinal unity. That's what we want to see. At Redemption, we are your standard Orthodox Christian church. There's nothing fancy or weird about us. We're just your run-of-the-mill, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching church. That's that's who we are. And so we gather around doctrinal unity. Now, that doesn't mean that that there's no room for questions. We, We love questions. That doesn't mean that if you are in doubt or a skeptic, there's not room for you, tons of room for you. We can have conversations, but we will not compromise. That we will stand on doctrinal unity. Second, organizational unity. There's just a way that we do church that's organized and different. We are what Tom Rainer calls a simple church. We only do four things as a church, worship, community, mission, service. That's it. That's all we do as a church. So we worship. Okay, we, we gather on Sundays, we sing, we preach the Bible, we take communion, we pray for one another, we worship. And then community, we gather in homes across the city to read our Bibles and pray for one another. 
mission, investing in the city, inviting other people to follow Jesus. We live on mission and then serving, using our gifts and talents and tithes to be able to lead more people to Jesus. That's, that's it. That's all we do as a church, worship, community, mission, service. So if you come to Redemption and you think, hey, I want to start Awanas, okay, like for kids, okay, I, I love kids, I have a kid, but we're probably not going to start Awanas. If you come to your redemption and you think, I want to start mops ministry for mothers. Okay, I, I love moms. I have a mom too. Um, but we're probably not going to start a mops ministry for mothers. If you want to start an underwater basket weaving small group or you know teach a class on the end times, we're probably not necessarily going to do that or, or the church. But if you want to worship Jesus... If you want to sing and celebrate and learn the word of God, if you want to live in community, if you want to be on mission and you want to use your gifts and talents to serve other people, then Redemption Church is the place for you. And that's how we gather as a church. And then thirdly, relational unity. Now, this one is so, so incredibly important because here's the deal. Okay, people are different and they will get on your nerves. Okay, trust me. And you're thinking, well, nobody's really getting on my nerves. Okay, that's because you're the person getting on everyone's nerve. People are different, and that's a good thing. Okay, you need to be around people who are different than you. In our everyday life, we only hang out with people who look exactly like us. We have the same bands. We like the same music. We like the same food. We like the same play. Okay, in our lives, we hang out with people just like us. That is not the goal of the church. The goal of the church is that you would be around people who are not like you at all, because that's the only way you'll learn to look like Jesus. And we need a diverse church if we want to look like Jesus. We need everyone. Okay, my prayer is that Redemption Church would be so diverse okay, that people would look at us and think we're strange. Like, what on earth is happening there? That cannot be natural because it is supernatural what Jesus is doing in our church. That means we're going to need everybody everybody. We need the rich and the poor. We need the black and the white. We need the Latinos and the Asians. We need the young and the old. We need the men and the women. We need the skinny jeans and the cargo shorts. We are going to need everyone if we want this church to look like Jesus. And so when people look at you and they think, why do you hang out with those people? You have nothing in common with them. Why do you go to that church? You have nothing in common there. And you would look at them and you'd say, I know. But I love Jesus, and they love Jesus, and because of Jesus, we are one. And yes, we are a little bit different, but so are you, and there's room for you in our church. That is my prayer for us as a church, that we would be unified. The fourth thing that Jesus prays is that we would be loving. Here's how Jesus says it. He says, Father, so remember, it's a prayer. Okay, Father, verse 24, I desire that they also will be those whom you have given me. So Jesus here is talking about Christians that we belong to him, that the Father has saved us, has given us to Jesus, and we become part of the family of God. So here Jesus is praying for Christians, that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because of the love that you had for me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me, and I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known to them that they love with the love which you have loved me, that I may be in them and they in you. And so this is the last thing that Jesus prays. It's the last day of Jesus' life. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be arrested, tried, denied, crucified, murdered for the forgiveness of our sins and because the claims that he make in which he said he is God. And Jesus lived his life sinless, without sin, he lived on mission for three years, preaching, teaching, healing, performing miracles, serving other people, and that every person he came across, Jesus Christ loved, that he loved everyone in which he served. And for his words and his works, that reason he was killed. By being murdered, he was buried, where he resurrected, ascended to the Father, since the Holy Spirit intercedes for us still to this day. And if you were to see Jesus, what he was be praying for is that you would know that without a shadow of a doubt that you are loved and that we are to be loving and that we are to love others in the same way in which God has loved us. Okay, we live in a world who is addicted to love. The world we live in is addicted to love. And the problem is, is we don't actually know what love 
truly is. Okay, people say, I love all the time. I love this, I love that, I love you, to the point to where the word love seems to have lost all of its meaning, to where people don't feel love, people don't know love, people are depressed, discouraged, disappointed, walking around with their head down. We live in a world who doesn't know what love truly is, but as Christians, we do because we know who Jesus is and that Jesus is love. And so what Jesus is praying for us is this, is that the same way in which Jesus loved us, that we would love others. In the same way in which Jesus was patient towards us, that we would be patient towards others. In the same way that Jesus was generous towards us, that we would be generous towards others. In the same way that Jesus welcomed us, that we would welcome others. In the same way in which Jesus served us, is that we would serve others the same. That's Jesus' prayer. Now, the question is, when people see us, do, do we look like Jesus? I was asked during our church planting assessment to figure out if me and Ashley were actually qualified to be a pastor of a church plant. And one of the coach at the conference, he asked me, he said, I want you to think about this question all the time. If your church closed tomorrow, would the city miss you? And you know what? I don't know if I know the answer to that question. To be honest, I think you guys would be pretty sad. I think some people would be bummed, but I also think there's some people watching our church who would say, I told you so. A church in a bar with all those people, with that music, that pastor's young, they preach straight through books of the Bible, that's never going to work, right? I'm pretty sure that there's some people who would see our church and think, I knew that wasn't going to work. Now, when I say that, you could be discouraged. You could think, oh, well, you know, we're only a year and a half old, and, and I don't really know if I can be in the community group. I don't know if it's going to work. Well, you could hear that, and you could be discouraged, or you could be encouraged, because that means that there's still work to be done, that there are still people to love. There is still, there is still a reason to serve. There are still groups to gather. There are still missionaries to send. There are still ties to be given. And when you follow Jesus, there's always a next step. And that there is always room for us to grow. And that God is not done with our church. That we need not be discouraged, but rather we be encouraged because there's always room to grow. And the fifth part of Jesus' prayer as he closes it out is that we as a church would be loving. Here's how Jesus says it. Is that I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus prays for his disciples. And then he prays for you. He says, I do not ask only for these, but for those who will believe because of your word. Do you know that the majority of our church has yet to walk through our doors? If we could see Redemption Church from the fullness of time, the majority of people who will call Redemption Church home has yet to even attend. And you ask, well, where are they? They're your next door neighbors. They're your college classmates. They're your coworkers. They're your friends. They're your family. You know them by name. You call them brothers and sisters. You call them husbands and wives. The future of our church is right next to you every single day, everywhere you go. Someone has the potential to be a person that God has called you to reach, who God has called you to pray for. Do you know that the only reason that I am on this stage today is because somebody prayed for me? My grandparents, they, they prayed for me for 20 years. They would pray that I would come to know the Lord. When I was a rebellious, punk rock, teenage kid who was strung out on drugs, starving myself in the middle of the night, cursing and rebelling against God, they never quit praying for me. They would get down on their hands and their knees and they would fast and they would intercede and they'd go before the Lord and they would give and serve and pray. And 20 years later, God answered that prayer. That whenever we felt called to, to ministry, we joined a good church and the pastor of that church, he would pray for us and he would lay hands on me and he prayed, Lord, I pray that you would give him a heart to preach the Bible, that you would give him a heart to serve the city, that you would give a heart for the lost, that you would give him a heart for the church. And then he got brain cancer. He was terminal and passed away before he ever could see the Lord answer that prayer. But God was still faithful to his prayer. Hallelujah. And before we even planted this church, a man named Donnie Flippo was praying for 10 years. 
And that he was praying that there would be a new Assembly of God church in Beaumont that would reach a new generation. And he prayed and he prayed and we didn't see the answer to that prayer. He kept praying until the answer to that prayer walked through the doors of his church. And he would pray for us and he would lead us and he would coach us and walk with us. And God answered that prayer. But he prayed for 10 years. And some of you need to know this, that your prayers do not have an expiration date. That your prayers have a shelf life that lasts longer than your life. And just because you don't see the answer, it doesn't mean that God's not working. And just because you don't think that God's moving, it doesn't mean that he is not there. That we are to pray as a church because our prayers, they change lives. They leave legacies. They alter generations. Your prayers know no end. And Jesus prays that we would be a prayerful church. For the future of our church. Listen, you are not here by accident. You are here because somebody has been praying for you. You are sitting in this chair today because somebody has been praying for you. That none of this is by accident. None of this is by chance. All of it is an answer to prayer. And if you feel like in your life that nobody is praying for you, okay, Jesus has been praying for you for the last 2,000 years. So that's not true. If you feel like nobody is praying for you, we have been praying for you as well. That you are here as an answer to prayer. It's not an accident. It's not by chance. But it's because Jesus has been calling you. Jesus has been drawing you. Jesus has been working on you. And he's only using Redemption Church to accomplish the good work that he has planned for you. The future is to come. The best is yet to come. And all we have to do as a church is we have to pray. We have to stick to the plan in order for us to see the promise and potential that God has for us. All we need to do is to pray and plan, stick to the promise, and we will receive the glorious reward of living on mission, serving, loving, giving, and being the church that God has called us to be. Because Jesus loves his church, amen? Amen. Jesus loves his church. Jesus has a plan for this church bigger than the plan that we have for it. Jesus has a prayer for this church bigger than the prayer that we have for this church. And Jesus has a promise. Because Jesus loves his church. And so I'm really, really excited about what God is doing here at Redemption. And I want you to be excited. And so here's what I want to do. As we, as we close it out, I, I want to give you an update on what God is doing. When Ashley and I were on our vacation, we began to pray about what God wanted next for us as a church. Because when we started this church, we had our plan. And, and we wanted to launch a church here at the gig. We wanted to reach people for Jesus Last year, we did that. Here we are. We wanted to have a full kids ministry so kids could learn about Jesus, have fun. We could welcome families. And on Easter Sunday, you guys gave $3,000 in two weeks, and we completed our kids project by launching the nursery. So thank you for that. We wanted to have community groups for people to get connected in. We got them. We wanted to have a grow class for people to become covenant members and to find their potential. We got that. And so I begin to wonder, well, what's next for us as a church? It almost feels as if we've kind of accomplished everything we've set out to do. So what's next for us as a church? And that's, that's really where we begin praying because I feel like we're kind of out of mission. I mean, out of vision. We, we, we know where we're going. We're going to reach people for Jesus. We're going to see lives be changed. We're going to continue to grow by adding new people into our faith family. That's, that's the direction in which we're heading. And so I wanted to think about well, how or what are we going to do to get there? So I want to give you uh, what Jesus has done and a where we are going, okay? All right, so here's the first thing. Baptisms, okay? Now, you guys feel free to cheer at any moment during this, okay? So last year, last year we baptized 24 people. That's amazing. This year we've already baptized 17 And so by God's grace, my goal for us as a church is by the end of the year, we'll have baptized 35 new people this year. You believe we can do it? Next baptism is going to be August 27th. So we want you to follow the Lord. I'm going to be really talking, hitting this up. We want you to follow Jesus in baptism. It's a command which God gives. So fill out the connect card, baptism baptisms on the connect card. Next is new groups. Last semester we had three groups. This semester we're going to have seven groups. Seven new groups. There's a group for everyone, anytime, anywhere that you can be. There's a group for you. 
okay? All across Southeast Texas, we want you to be in a group. Life change happens in these groups. New members, we opened up Grow Class, and we've had 10 people become covenant members of the church. Our goal is by the end of the year, we'll have 30 people who have gone through Grow Class, found their purpose to become new members. And here's, here's the reason why. Because January will mark our two years as a church, and we officially become an autonomous church. And we can take, we put on our big boy pants, we'll grow up, and we will be an autonomous church, no longer under a pack. In order for that to happen, we need 30, 30 members. And then our serve team. Currently, we have 33 people who serve every single week to make redemption possible. Thank you guys so much for serving. Whether it's setup or kids or cafe or band, thank you guys so much for serving. Our goal is by the end of the year that we'll have 60 people who serve on the serve team. So our goal is 60 people. Now, now why do we talk about this? Okay, why are we doing these number things, okay? Well, one, because numbers matter, right? Every, every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And so these numbers do matter. And we're wanting to see the church grow. We want to see the church reach more people. And so here's what we're going to do. Okay, I'm really excited about this. Here's what we're going to do. Starting on September 10th, Redemption Church is going to be having two worship services on September 10th. 9.30 and 11.15. And the reason we're doing this is because there's more people who need to know Jesus. There's more people for us to reach. There's more opportunities for people to worship. There's more opportunities for people to serve. There's more opportunities for people to get connected and experience life change because of Christ. So we're moving the two services. So here's what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to pray for your church. And I'm going to need you to pray, where am I going to serve? Where, which service am I going to attend? I need you to pray what community group I'm going to be in. I need you to pray to follow the Lord through salvation and through baptism. That we'll stick to the plan which God has given us so we can reach the potential he has for us as a church. So here's what we're going to do, okay? Okay, we're going to worship. So I want you to stand with me. We're going to worship and celebrate everything that Jesus is doing in our church by lifting our hands, by singing, by celebrating, by worshiping because Jesus loves his church. And then we are going to take communion. And communion is a form of community that we are proclaiming with one voice that there is one Lord who one day will return. And then we're going to pray for one another because people need prayer. Okay, how many of you guys, uh, I need some prayer. Okay, good, good. Come forward. We have a team who would love to pray for you. And then we're going to give our tithes and offerings to further the mission of God. This is all possible because of Jesus and because of you. And so we're going to give to keep the mission going, to keep reaching people for Jesus. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give in. We're going to keep moving. We're going to keep the faith, keep believing. The best is yet to come for us as a church. Do you believe it? In Jesus' name. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.